Hello. Welcome to Element City Church. Whether you are joining us online or in person, hang on, let me get the notes, even though Ivy's got them up there because she's awesome. Um, we, we're thrilled to have you here. Um, there are people online to connect with you if you are meeting with us online. If you haven't ever gone online to take a chat with the people who are online that join us, I highly recommend that to everybody who's here. There are some great people there. I met Etna online, and then I got to meet her in person. It's a wonderful, just a wonderful moment. So reach out to the people that are online that don't get to join us here. Um, if you are new with us, we have amazing hosts that'll meet up with you. We ask that you, uh, if you've been here for a week or two weeks, to uh, reach out on the Connect card, which is online. You can download the app and carry us with you. And sometimes if you don't make it here on Sunday or online, you can go on on Tuesday and watch it. And it's kind of a nice break in the middle of the week. Um, you can text, I'm supposed to be able to read that? You can text hello to 520-340-6868 and tap the link that comes up with two other texts. And then we're all, we'll be connected with you guys there. Uh, we wanna invite you to the 10 minute party afterwards. It's 10 minutes long. Uh, or less, and we just like to meet you. If you're if you're new, been here a couple weeks, come back and say hello. And one of the cool things that you get if you join us for the 10-minute party is the best kettle popcorn south of the Grand Canyon. I had some from Flagstaff. It's just not as good. You gotta do that stuff that we got. It's special. It's special. Jack goes out of his way, puts a little bit of love, prays over it. I don't know what he does. It makes it super special. Um, I'm supposed to share one thing that I like about our church. Um, my name's Deb, I missed that whole thing. My husband and I have been here for uh, probably about five years, and one of the things that I love the most about our church is our community. I think we do community like nobody else out there. Um, if you are new, uh, try to connect with somebody that's here. If you are not new, connect with somebody that you don't know, because it is not easy to walk into a place that you don't know, and kudos to all of you who stepped in. Um, I do love our community. I spend a lot of time, my husband and I, Dan, we spend a lot of time with the different people in our community here, and we are, have been incredibly blessed, and hopefully we've had the opportunity to bless people out there that wouldn't normally uh, get that. So every week, we begin, to, we pray for a church of the week. This week is Amphi Bible Church, and it's for Pastor Tom, Thomas Savage is the pastor that's there. So uh, that's also a thing that I love about us is that we pray for the other churches here in town. And I don't know that I've ever been a part of that. I think that uh, it's important to recognize that uh, we're all, we're his church. We're not my church or your church. This is his church in the city of Tucson is where he wants to uh, be and he wants the people to see him. So if you'll just join me for a moment and we'll pray for the church of the week. <laughs> Mark. <laughs> Father God, uh, we just thank you for uh, Element City Church to start with. Um, I thank you for the people here and the people who love me and the people that we love. And we just pray for Amphi Bible Church. Uh, it's, a, it's a church here in Tucson, and we just pray that you um, bless them, guide the church, guide the pastor there, guide Pastor Thomas Savage, uh, that your words are what's there. Open up the hearts of the minds of the people that are at their church and also ours, just so that you speak to uh, the people on an individual basis, even though we're speaking corporately. So we thank you for these things. We ask that you bless this evening in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.
Would you guys stand with me tonight? I'm going to get started in some worship. I know we don't have a lot of people up here, so you're going to have to sing a little louder tonight. Amen. Hear just one word, you calm the storm that surrounds me. Hear just one word, the darkness has to retreat. Just one touch, I feel the presence of heaven. Just one touch, my eyes were open to see, my heart can't help but believe. There's nothing that our God can do, there's not a mountain that He can move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can do In just one word You heal the broken inside me In just one word And you revive every dream In just one touch I feel the power of Him In just one touch, my eyes were open to see, my heart can't help but believe it. There's nothing that our God can do, there's not a mountain that He can move. Oh, praise the name that makes the way, there's nothing that our God can do. There's nothing that our God can do. Wall he can't break through. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. Oh. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise, let all agree. There's no power like the power of Jesus. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise, let all agree. There's no power like the power of Jesus. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like His power. There's nothing that our God can't do. Praise the name that makes the way. There's nothing that our God can't do. Oh, there's nothing that our God can't do. 
in glory Your love is like the wildest ocean Oh, nothing else compares Grace, what have you done? for me on that cross accused in absence of wrong my sin washed away in your blood too much to make sense of it all I know that your love breaks my fall the scandal of grace Died in my place, my soul will live. Oh, to be like you, give all I have just to know. Jesus, there's no one beside you. me to live the mercy my heart now is sing the day and this trouble shall come I know that your strength is enough the scandal of grace you died in my place my soul Oh
we come before you tonight in hopes of being more like you. We pray that you would do a new thing tonight. We pray that your presence would fill this space. Would you speak through your word? you would, just take a moment, pray for yourself right now, just that God would speak clearly to you. for Jack. God would speak clearly through him. God, we love and we trust you. We give this time to you. We give this, all this praise for you, God. And we love you. In Jesus' name. Take a seat. Thank you. Amen. Thanks, Micah, our team. Uh, hey, we are thrilled to, to have you here this evening to be a part of worship with us. And as we continue on in our series, I want to give you a quick update on Anya and Lyle. They're in Ukraine. And then what I didn't get to mention last week is uh, uh, Anya seeing family. Of course, that's where she's from. Uh, but uh, a cool thing is Anya has written a couple different worship songs that we've gotten to sing here and has written another one. Uh, in her native language that is actually being released this Thursday or Friday, the 14th, 15th, uh, in an album release for the whole country of Ukraine. Uh, so her song, along with a few other songs, is part of the album release. And when she gets back here, we haven't been able to play it because it's 
we just couldn't, and you wouldn't understand it. Uh, so when she gets back here, we're going to translate that into English, and uh, this is kind of a big deal. Uh, and uh, we'd like to invite you to be praying for her as she's going to be interviewed on what would be the equivalent of K-Love here, uh, would be the equivalent of the Christian radio station in the country of Ukraine, uh, interviewed, I think, Thursday for about a 45-minute interview, just her. Uh, and so uh, it's a really big deal and a really cool thing that she's a part of. And so we'd love to just kind of pray a blessing over them uh, as they're a part of that. And you can do, it, do that throughout this week. And then you can just anticipate celebrating uh, that accomplishment and celebrating another worship song that we'll get to sing together uh, upon her return. So uh, if you are tuning in online and uh, if you are here, uh, we are have been in this series called uh, The Rooted Life and looking at some rhythms and some practices that we are to have a part of our life that actually help us live more in the way of Jesus. And so you might be here and maybe you're tuning in online and, and you're kind of new to maybe the, the faith or kind of the journey of your spiritual journey, kind of searching out who this Jesus is, what he's about. And tonight, uh, we're going to be looking into what uh, the scriptures kind of call holy sexuality, which I know is a huge topic and a, a we could take weeks talking about this. We have not talked about this in a while, and tonight I want to try to tackle this in about 39 minutes. Whew. Okay, so we're going to do our best to kind of go through that and look at what the scriptures have to say, because the reality of what we've been looking at is some rhythms, like this, this contemplative cadence, uh, that we're to have that more in our life will help keep us out of this, the rat race of hurry and pull us, the, to be saturated with scripture, what Lyle looked at last week, kind of this rhythms of reconciliation that we're to have a part of our life. And the reality is sexuality is a part of our life, and yet we live in a culture that says so many things. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, so again, if you missed any in the series, you can go back, if you pull up the app and go down to messages, you can pull any of those, you can watch them. And then tonight, I want you to invite you to, to kind of go back to the main page and you can scroll down to like our sermon notes and you can follow along with everything I'm going to kind of talk about and be able to go back to that. First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, the very last verse, the very last phrase of that verse, the Apostle Paul is teaching to the church in Corinth and Corinth, you have to remember, is like Vegas on steroids. So how many of you have been to Vegas? Little, little crazy, a little out there, okay. Corinth is there like to the 10th degree back in the early second century. And so what we think of is like, oh, nothing could be worse than Vegas. Let me tell you, it can, uh, and it was, and it has been. So like, there's just a kind of, you'll, you'll see. Uh, so Corinth is kind of this interesting place. And the very last part, he's teaching to these people who live in this backdrop of crazy, competing, confusing messages about sexuality. And here's how he closes the kind of the last phrase of chapter six. He says this, so glorify God with your body. So at the end of the day, glorify God with your body. Now, yeah, this will make more sense as we get there to what he's writing to the church in Corinth there. But say, friends, we understand that we live in a culture that in a lot of ways has very confusing and competing messages about sex, sexuality, uh, and what does the scripture have to say? How do we actually live more and more in the way of Jesus? And, and let me remind you, Jesus was single. Let me just remind you of that. At 30, when he started his ministry and the teaching and healing ministry that he had and going to the cross at 30, 
Because I know for some people, especially my single friends, are like, man, I'm never going to get married. This sucks. Part of the reason I want to get married is this. And like, I'm just not there. And it's, you know, it's just like, I know, like all this kind of tension. Paul, who writes this letter to the church in Corinth, is single at this time. We don't know if Paul was married prior to this. Most Pharisees are married before uh, kind of age 20, 18 to 20 somewhere. We don't know if he's a widower. Uh, but he doesn't write about his wife, and so maybe he was single the whole entire time. Maybe he was married a widower, and, and now he's in this single phase. And so I want to just kind of point that out, how radical that would have been for Jesus to be a rabbi at 30 and single because of his mission and what he was about. See, we live in a cultural context that has so many different meeting, competing, and confusing messages. In a lot of ways, we live in a culture that says our sexuality is our highest and most real identity. So we pursue it for ourselves. But I would gently say to you, friend, because you did not create yourself, your identity is not so much found in a quest, it is received in humility as a gift from your creator. Your identity is a gift given to you. Self-determined reality is not the case. Your character is certainly something that you can have say and sway over. But your identity is a gift from your creator. The scriptures declare that you have high worth and therefore are high uh, value of pursuit by him, the creator of the universe. And he is predetermined and established and confirmed by Jesus himself that your sexuality is a part of you, but it is not the only part of you. It's not even the highest part of you. And yet in our culture, uh, we're kind of, has this competing message that says it is. And that takes us to strange places. We live in a culture that tells us to seek ways to live out our sexuality any way you want and any way you deem best. But God says, Hey, I have some guidelines and some design and boundaries that are for your best. And your sexuality is a part of you, yes, but it's not the whole of you. And I'd love for you to find healthy expression within this. It's for your best. We live in a culture that likes to say your body is separate from your soul. And that we are a segmented self, compartmentalized, but we know this is not true. We know that our body is affected by what happens to our psyche and our experiences that we all have to navigate. Bessel von Del Kirk uh, is the author of The Body Keeps the Score. And he writes about how our mind and body are intertwined and acknowledges that trauma and joys are often logged in our body. And that we feel and face the consequences and the ripple effect of that. How many of you would agree that to be true? You don't have to be a refugee. You don't have to be someone who's a first responder. You don't have to be someone who's a soldier to understand that your body keeps the score sometimes and that things are logged within you because you are a whole being. Science proves the interconnectivity of our mind and body in so many ways. You are not segmented or separate, and yet that's what our world tries to tell us is that you can live that way. And the truth is you, you could. You could attempt to live that way. But it won't match the science and it won't match the design of how you've been created. And it will affect you. It will impact you. 
Uh, for, you know, from just near the very beginning of humanity's story, uh, we have one of tension between body and soul. But it wasn't how it was originally created to be, but soon after it actually enters into the picture. What we see in the scriptures, you go back to the Genesis story, and you see very early on this beautiful intertwined relationship between God, the creator, and creation. Adam and Eve, his creation, the pinnacle of his creation. And you go see through the beautiful rhythm of this interconnectivity and in the beautiful world that's marked out, the abundance of beauty and diversity and delight. And he lovingly and generously shares this. The author of Genesis elaborates to the wholeness and purity and freedom experienced in the garden between man and woman. And the most scintillating verses in the Bible Verse 25, chapter 2, the man and wife were both naked and felt no shame. That's a beautiful verse. Here we have humanity living in the greatest joy and freedom. Their love for each other is free from body shaming, free from comparison, free from objectification. Fundamentally, there is unity between their God, their surrounding creation, and themselves and their bodies. Nothing's disturbing that. And as the story goes, God gives a tour and says, this is what you're to be. And he actually puts a boundary in place and says, here's the boundary for you. God establishes the dignity and capacity for freedom within humanity. He creates the conditions for choice, being able to voluntarily love, free from coercion or control, which is absolutely essential for souls that are created in his likeness. That's what you are, created in his likeness. And soon after, Satan seduces them. They eat from this tree. We read of one of the most tragic verses in the Bible. Just less than a chapter later, chapter 3, verse 7. The eyes of both of them were opened. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. See, prior to the fall, Adam and Eve didn't live blind to one another's bodies. They were exposed but not ashamed vulnerable but not self-conscious, laid bare but without the need for self-protection. But upon the rejection of God's boundary, their disobedience, sin comes into the picture and distorts their vision ironically by opening their eyes. And suddenly, no longer to seen from a God lens, but from a brokenness of humanity lens. And humanity now is ashamed by our exposure, self-conscious of our vulnerabilities, and tension between body and soul is now on the scene. God finds them and sets in motion to bring about restoration and healing, the motion of the story of Jesus. But the consequences are already far-reaching and already activated. And we've all been infected by this original sin and the brokenness within us, the fractures that come between us and the separation between us and our creator. It's now a part of everyone's reality. And so into that reality, the scriptures speak about this holy sexuality. And how do we pursue that? Christopher West, in his book, uh, Fill These Hearts, presents what is called often like three main diets of how people approach sexuality and spirituality. The starvation diet, the fast food diet, or the banquet. Meaning, in other words, we've often uh, our understanding of sexuality formed by sexual repression or sexual flippancy. And in the process, we have missed the larger story of the feast that God has for us. I would label these narratives as suppression, 
It's the starvation of our sexuality. It actually has roots in Gnosticism. Or sensationalism, the kind of this fast food diet of just do whatever you feel good at the time and whatever you want it to be. Or this submission to holiness, that, that we would feast on the way God has designed us to be. And many people of faith live in this first narrative, this first diet, if you will, the starvation diet. It's a diet that says our longings and our desires, especially our sexual longings and desires, are aspects of our humanity that need to be rejected or suppressed or ignored. In the third century, just a few years ago, Origen, an influential father of the church, viewed sexual passion as an obstacle to experiencing true joy with God. According to church tradition, he carried that out to the fullest extent. <clears throat> Means he took care of things, castrated himself, so that he wouldn't be objectified to that. Thankfully, we have moved beyond that. Augustine, probably, arguably one of the most influential theologians in church history, wrote in his book Confessions, Augustine articulated his struggle to maintain purity. As a young man before faith, he was a slave to his impulses and sexually active. And one of the most amusing reflections, he says this, he prayed, God, give me chastity and self-restraint. Just don't do it yet. This is the same guy that a couple years later would write maybe one of the most famous lines of his century. A prayer. God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. God, my heart is restless. It's searching for so many things and yet I will never really truly find rest until I come to rest in you. Not these other appetites or cravings or desires. They don't satisfy, is what Augustine is saying, in the fourth century. This is not new, is what I'm trying to tell you. The struggle, the reality of the confusing messages and things that go about. Often when people try to hide behind the starvation of diet, of just suppress everything and don't worry about it, don't even think about it, don't even let it be part of who you are. They try to suppress and end up actually living a life of duplicity. And all too often we see folks who say one thing, live one way, and yet there's a whole hidden part of their life. And it comes out eventually. It's trying to suppress the body, the, the urges and longings and feelings that we all have, which actually has its roots in Gnosticism. Gnosticism was this idea, this teaching in the early first and second century was total heresy, biblically. But it was trying to say, well, if you want to get secret knowledge of God, well, then you've got to do away with all material parts of who you are. Do away with the body. Let the spirit come forth, and then you will find that there's actually secret knowledge for you to have. Suppress the body. But friends, with Jesus coming to earth in a body, let me remind you, the incarnation confirms the importance of your body and of mine. That our soul, body, and spirits are integrated they are valuable. They are part of what makes you, you. Here's Theology 101. Your body is not a container that holds the real you. Your body, soul, and spirit together is the real you. It's all of it together. It's interconnected, not a segmented self. And so you can't suppress the body. 
But nor are you to just sensationalize everything and just glorify the body and do nothing for your soul and let that kind of become quiet and pushed to the back. That's kind of the fast food diet. The fast food diet and sensationalism is championed around in our world. Whatever you desire, then you desire to have it met. Do what feels right. Go for it. The fast food diet is about flippant and casual posture people take towards sex or sexuality. It's the inability or the refusal to see sex as a sacred fire that when not treated with care can lead to entire lives or communities being burned and destruction left in its wake if not treated with care. In the starvation diet, the soul is exalted to the point of denying the body. But in the fast food diet, the body is exalted to the point of the starvation of the soul. And you are not a segmented self. And it's against both of these that Paul actually has something to say. So don't get caught up in one way or, or this way. Paul's saying, look, both are bad. Both actually miss the point of how you've been created and the gift of who you are. And into an over-sexualized culture, Paul speaks, and he's saying to the church in Corinth, hey, you have to understand, you are not made for the starvation or suppression of things, uh, but you weren't made for sensationalism as well. You were actually made for a feast, a banquet of God's design that he created you and he has gifted you, your identity and your sexuality. And if you will submit that under his leadership and creation and calling, then you will actually find the best possible way to live. If you live in that posture, the gospel offers us a banquet, a feast that doesn't just fill you with tasty things or nourishes your soul. It does all of the above. Dieting on McDonald's will only kill you. Dieting on ice chips will never fully satisfy you. There's got to be a different way. And what Paul's going to introduce is this this way of Jesus that really is a holy sexuality, again, reminding you about our single Savior. Do you ever think about that? Why did Jesus choose not to marry? It's an interesting question, especially in a cultural context that, that said, if you're a rabbi, well, that's what you need to do. Like, it, it would have been odd, and I think we often miss that, of how unique Jesus is. And into that, and with that backdrop of who Jesus is, these are the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to read the whole little passage, eight verses for us, and then we'll kind of break it down a little bit. He says this, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord, and we will also raise us up with his power. Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For the scripture says that the two will become one flesh, but anyone joined to the Lord is one in spirit with him. So flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who sexually immoral sins against his own body 
Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. It's kind of a fascinating take. What I told you is Corinth is a very over-sexualized, very warped view of sex or sexuality in the day. Every day, hundreds of priestesses from the temple of Aphrodite would stop and kind of stoop and kind of wade out into the city and would come down into the streets to ply their trade. Sex was offered as a way of worship. You don't see that in our culture, but that was very much the culture of the day. All this had been kind of crept into the church. And so when Jesus, when Paul shows up and says, I'm going to establish a church, I'm pointing people to Jesus, there's something unique here that he's calling people to this holy sexuality that's different than what the backdrop of the world would have been around him. And as you hear these words of Paul, can I just pause and remind us? That for some of you, this may stir up things in your background or things in part of the background of your story. And as a follower of Jesus, may I just remind you what else Paul says? You are a new creation. That a person who's put their faith in Jesus and trusting in what he did in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, has taken care of everything from your past and has securely taken everything for your future. He holds you, and you are new and created new and washed in him. And so if this is something that, that stirs up anything from your past, you don't need to let it be as a follower of Jesus. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then what you're getting to see is a peek behind the curtain a little bit of what the way of Jesus really talks about when it talks about our sexuality. It isn't mute on it. It actually has some things to say, and it has some challenges for wherever you may be in that to call you forward, to call me forward, into something that's holy, that's different, that's set apart, that's not just the same as the culture around us. A lot of Christians walk around sometimes in a perpetual state of guilt over their past, and I want you to know that you don't have to do that. You've been forgiven, you've been washed in Jesus, and in Christ you are a new creation. And also, we know this, it is also true that we navigate and manage and submit our sexuality to the Lord and his leadership, and it is something we all must face, knowing it's a pass on this. But for some of us, we will struggle with it more, and for some of us, we will battle with it more than anyone else. And that's unique. We all face it. Some will struggle. Some will really battle with this. And I don't know your story. I don't know the extent of what God wants to do in that. But what I want us to see is what Paul is trying to communicate and what I think the Spirit of God is trying to communicate into this and through us. And then pull out a really couple practical things that are practices that can help you as we all try to navigate how do I live toward holy sexuality in this. Let's look closely at what Paul talks about in the problem. He talks about the rationalization that goes on. I don't know if you saw it in your scripture, but there's some quotation marks. What Paul is actually quoting is Paul popular phrases from the, the region of Corinth around there. When you see those in parentheses, that's because that was a popular saying in the town around there. What he's really kind of going back and pushing against is these rationalizations that happen. How many of you rationalize things? 
Oh, good, all of us. Yeah. Um, so one of the rationalizations that was there and that is continued in our culture, even so many 20 centuries later, immorality is okay because we're all under grace. All things are lawful for me, he says, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me. That was the popular phrase that was in the day, but I will not be mastered by anything. Paul is saying, he's taking a favorite quote from Corinth, and they figured out, okay, we're saved by grace. Paul, you taught us about that. You've taught us that we're not under the law, and so we live by grace, and so we can just indulge all of our passions and appetites, and it won't affect our relationship with God or others. And Paul's saying, no, 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 (laughs) no. Because you're a whole person, you're not a segmented self, you can't just wall off one area of your life and think that that won't affect the rest of the areas of your life. Because you are whole, body, spirit, soul, together, you're whole in that. And so he props up two guidelines for us. First, he says, listen, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Meaning, what if we were to ask the question when it comes to our conduct at times, is this profitable for me? Does this help me? Or does this hurt me? Does this help other people or does it hurt other people? If our freedom was meant to allow us to serve others, not hurt them, and the moment our freedom is used in a way that tears others down or damages them, then something's askew. He says, all things are lawful for me, but I won't be mastered by anything. As I exercise my freedom in Christ now, will I become enslaved to this habit, enslaved to this choice, enslaved to this reality of where I'm going, and is that okay? See, I don't want to be enslaved to anything. I'm bought at a price, and I'm no longer just my own. And so this is especially important for us to wrestle with. The second one that was pointed out in the culture and still is in our culture today was immorality or rationalization. Immorality is okay because it's natural. It's just the way of who we are as humans. After dealing with that argument, Paul goes on, verse 13 and 14, he says, listen, uh, this quotation you have, this food for the stomach and stomach for the food, it's just a natural byproduct of who you are and what you're about. Well, that's another excuse that sometimes people can use to justify immorality. When we get hungry and head for the refrigerator, no one hauls us into court and charges us with immorality. Why should it be any different with sex? But here we come face to face with the reality, the importance of this. The world, regardless of how much emphasis it places on sex and sexuality, actually has a very low view of sex. But as Christians, we're to have a very high view of sex and sexuality. The world sees sex as just another body function, akin to eating. There's nothing special about it, nothing unique, nothing worth protecting. But the biblical view of sex is so much deeper because it's the whole of you. It's not just a slice of you or a segmented part of you. Sex involves something that's completely different, that's totally uniting everything a part of you. You might say your bodies weren't meant for immorality, but your bodies were actually meant for immortality. Jesus has a resurrected body So we may be wasting away in these shells, but we're not totally chucking them. There's a reality of the body of what we have. Our physical selves are tied to our spiritual selves. And we're warned here about compartmentalization. 
And we think we can be involved in maybe immorality within our body and that doesn't overflow into anything else in our life. And the truth, friend, is you are a whole person. You're way too complex to be a segmented self. You're way too beautifully designed to be anything less than. And when we talk about being less than, when we're actually demeaning yourself and you're demeaning the created self that you are, that has God says you're valuable and you're worth a lot to him. He quotes from Genesis 3, the two shall become one flesh. He goes all the way back to the original marriage of what God established and created, and he says, listen, there's something supernatural that happens in sex. There's something, a bond that's created. The word joins, that you'll see how many times it uses the word body in this passage, and the word joins in Greek literally means glue. It's this idea that something is bonding here that's beyond just physical self. The notion of just casual sex is a lie. And so it's so much more beautiful and so much bigger than sometimes we let it be and we recognize it to be. Paul is saying that sexual union is like that. It unites us, not just in body, but in the soul and in spirit as well. And so whether you realize it or not, it's like glue to a relationship. And so you want to be careful where you apply that. And what kind of relationship you apply that to, it's far more than just physical. He ends his whole segment with this, flee immorality. Every other sin a man or woman commits is outside their body, but this one is against your own body. Do you not know that as a follower of Jesus, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, what's therefore? You always have to ask, what's therefore, therefore, right? You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You're under new management, is what this is saying. You are no longer just your own as a follower of Jesus. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then you can listen to this and argue whether you agree or not. But as a follower of Jesus, this is the call to pursue holy sexuality, to understand that your body is a part of who you are. Other sins that involve our body, chemical addiction, gluttony, they will both destroy your body, won't they? They will take you to places you don't want to go. So what Paul is saying is flee immorality. I like what Wayne Wright says, the best companion against immorality is geography. In other words, move away, create distance. Don't just hang around, but when you find yourself in a situation or a scenario or a circumstance that you created or someone else created, and it's trying to push you to do something immoral that you don't want to do, then find a new geography. Don't just try to dabble with it and say, no, no, I can make it, I can handle it, I can handle it. Uh, we all know people who've said, I got this, and then they don't got this. We've all probably logged time in that space and in that posture. And so into that, Paul's saying, no, no, flee. Set yourself up. Get yourself to a different place. The second command, he says, the first one's kind of negative. Get out of there. Second is positive. He says, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Everything Paul has been saying has been setting you up for this, what he ends with. Why should we glorify God with our body? 
because your body's been purchased by God with the precious blood of his son. It cost him everything for him to pursue you and to rescue you. And so because of that, you have high value. Don't ever think you're less than. Don't ever think you have to settle. No, no, you're too important to God for that. He has high view of you, and he longs for you to be a person who sees the high view of sex or sexuality that is a gift given to you and who you have to be. If you pay a lot of money for a nice car, would you just pull out a 99-cent can of spray paint and spray all over the hood? No. That'd be dumb, right? So if you are high value then glorify God with your body. You're under new management. Use it in a way that honors him. And this is coming from Paul, who's single. And we see this in Jesus, who's single, who understands, understands the struggle, understands the reality of what that implies. I, I love, I read uh, Christopher Yon's book, Holy Sexuality in the Gospel. In it, uh, I recommend it. His story is, crazy story of his background and where he was and how God rescued him and, and the journey that he went on. He's now a professor at Moody and has been teaching there a while. He writes this, holy sexuality consists of two paths, chastity and singleness, faithfulness and marriage. Chastity and more than simple abstention from extramarital sex, it conveys purity and holiness. Faithfulness is more than merely maintaining chastity and avoiding illicit sex. It conveys covenant commitment. Holy sexuality is God's good standard for everybody. It's an all skate, no matter where you may be on the spectrum, if you will, of what you struggle with or what you wrestle with. Holy sexuality pulls you to something different in that. And so I want to give us two simple tools that I think, if you begin to practice these more, will actually help you live more and more in the way of Jesus when it comes to sex and sexuality. And the first one is this, it's sobriety. And by sobriety, what I mean is brutal honesty. If you've ever been part of a 12-step uh, part of sobriety and healing in that, for some of you that may be part of your story, you know that part of that is a brutal honesty with people that can help speak into your life and that you can speak into their life. Uh, what if we as believers actually begin to live out a spiritual sobriety? Listen, I'm not telling you to share everything with everybody. You shouldn't. You'll get hurt. But do you have somebody that you can share everything with, because you should. That's what sobriety is, in a spiritual sense. It's, it's knowing that you've got people. Uh, I've told you about my covenant pastors group that I meet with monthly, that uh, there isn't anything that I have not shared with them of my struggles and my hangups, my hurts, my habits. And I've said, listen, I gotta get this out, because if I just try to manage this on my own, I will not manage it well, and it will wreck me. And for some of you, you know that story. Because you tried to manage it all on your own. And it didn't take you where you wanted to go. And so what if Christians, followers of Jesus, 
were actually in a place of community that Deb talked about where it was safe enough for you to be the real you. And for you to say, listen, here, here's my hangups. Here's where I'm struggling. And again, I'm not sharing that with everybody, but do you have somebody that you can share that with? James 5.16 says this, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Do you know where the healing's found? In sobriety, honesty, transparency. That's where the healing of God can work. When it's hidden, there's no healing. But when it's out and people are helping and walking alongside you, you start confessing and being honest with someone, ask them to pray for you, asking them to hold you accountable, stop rationalizing the things around you that will not get you to where you want to go. God has put his spirit within you so that you can change and he is calling to live for you to live with sobriety. Honesty with others who will pray for you, challenge you, encourage you and call you forward into God's best. It is not in condemnation but with affirmation that greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world and the messages he's trying to slam down your throat and pull you away from. That the one who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. That you are never alone in your struggle. And that God's grace and love is sufficient for you. Yes, even you. Does that mean it won't be challenging to live toward holy sexuality if you have a different struggle or two? No, it'll probably be one of the hardest things you ever do. That's why for all of us, we have to face it. For some of us, we will struggle with it. And for some of us, we will battle this. But you are not alone in that battle. And the Spirit of God is bringing friends around you, Christian brothers and sisters who will walk with you, and his Spirit within you can empower you. See, if we lean on the love of God, his desires and dreams for us can become more plausible in our life, maybe even more plausible than you can picture or even imagine right now. See, the love and grace of God doesn't remove our desires. It actually reorders them. And that is the grace of the gospel, is that our desires and our appetites don't rule us. We actually get to be in partnership with the Spirit over them because your sex and sexuality is a part of you. It is not the whole you. And so this is what we're invited into. Sobriety, brutal honesty. Second one is fasting. Fasting is not about self-punishment, neither is it an act of cruel self-deprivation. It's about refusing to be ruled by your appetites or governed by your desires or held captive by your cravings. It helps us find nourishment and sustenance in God alone. Uh, you can practice fasting from food. Uh, that's very un-American. Although there's kind of this little fasting diet craze thing that's happening right now, uh, where it's intermittent fasting. We feel like that's more palatable. Uh, but really what this is, is a call to fasting, which we don't practice a lot here. Uh, but what that does when you're in a moment of saying, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give up this, this food or so for a little while so that my attention is on you. And here's what you'll find. Your attention doesn't stay on God very often. 
your attention goes to your stomach. Like, dude, how come you haven't fed me in a while? Let, let's go. Let's get some food. Hey, you're passing that place. Stop there. No, no, no. Hey, remember that little, that, oh, you put that granola bar down there. In the, yeah, just get that out. Get that out. And what you'll find is that the inside part of you, it's almost like that weird venom guy in the movies that talks. It's like that. But it's this idea of, of cravings and appetites that are trying to actually master you. And the truth is, the, the more we can try to silence those voices and those cravings and those appetites and those longings, then the, the better balanced people will actually be. And what if fasting is actually a way to reboot this call to follow after Jesus, to live in the way of Jesus. I think that's why he practiced it. I think that's why the ancient fathers and mothers throughout the centuries have practiced that, because there's something tangible about it. Now, who should not fast from food? I actually have a slide here for some of you. Um, like, okay, women who are pregnant, nursing, okay, just listen. <clears throat> Fasting from food may not be for you. So can I just challenge you with another appetite of our culture? Social media or anything that clamors for your attention could be a hobby. Uh, what if you were to fast from that? And here's what you'll find, because I did a social media fast a few weeks ago. It sucked. I like it. And six hours into it, I found myself reaching for my phone. Do you know the average person reaches for their phone over 2,100 times a day? A day! If you're a millennial, it's double. I'm not joking. That's real stats. Think about what that does to your body and to your mind and to your spirit. I love technology. It's an awesome tool. But it can be leveraged against you. And if you don't run your technology, your technology will actually run you. And friend, what if fasting from that for a little bit or anything else that clamors for your attention, what if fasting from food and what clamors for your attention is actually part of the portal that we can take that will call us back to the way we're meant to live and to an actually a much simpler and much freer way to live as we follow after Jesus? I'm teaching Callista to drive. Pray for me. She gets her permit here in a while, and I'm trying to, to drive carefully. How many of you try to drive carefully? I try to drive carefully. If I ever borrow a friend's car, guess how carefully I drive? Really carefully. Why? Because I don't want to bring my friend's car back damaged. They trusted me with that. Christ purchased you, friend. The only way we could say that we don't agree that we're purchased from him or that we could say, who does he think he is to tell me what to do with my body is by not belonging to him at all. Did he shed his blood to cover over your sin? Has he given you the spirit to make you new? If so, then glorify God with your body. That's what Paul would say. And so, Father, um, this is a challenging message, especially in our cultural context that 
calls us to, to chase after so many appetites and cravings and longings and to, to discover stuff for ourselves and, and be who we want and, and all these things, God. It's just the current of the culture we're in. And yet, Jesus, we live in the shadow of this incredible gift that you've given us, this gift of sex and sexuality that you, as the creator, have bestowed upon us. You've said this is a good thing. It's a good thing within the context of, of how you've designed that to be. And yet so much of our culture pushes us to push against that and to say that's bogus and that's not true and to pursue other things. And yet, God, there's so many, so many stories that we could tell of times and ways that we've gone down that road and it did not get us to where we actually really wanted to be. And so, Father, would you help us as a church to love people where they're at? And to continually point all of us toward our amazing, incredible Savior and the grace that he has to forgive and to heal and to renew and to reboot us into more of who we've been designed to be and called to be through his hope. And God, would you help us to be a people that just spurs one another on, that maybe we've become people who practice sobriety, who practice fasting, because it actually leads us into a way to live out our sex and sexuality in a way that honors you, that is holy in its intent, in its design, in its desires. God, I, I know I've got my own brokenness. My hunch is everyone here, too. And so as we sing this song, as we worship and close our service, we're just asking that your spirit would minister to each heart, each heart watching online. Would you help us to be people who pursue holy sexuality and that it would help us live more and more in the rhythm and the way of Jesus where freedom and hope and joy and peace call to us and invite us to experience them more and more, we pray. Amen.
divisiveness, but God is good, friends. He's good to you. He's good for us. He's good for our world. May you experience more and more of his goodness in the days to come. May we experience more and more of that together. So tonight, just real quick, thank you to all of you who are partners with us in serving around here. There's several teams for you to get connected to if you are new and you'd like to serve in that. Thank you for our financial partners. We don't pass a plate in the service. We got a couple of giving boxes in the back. Most folks give online and uh, we'd love to invite you to be a partner with us in that. It helps us be the church uh, and to do all that we do. And so if you are new online, we'd love for you to fill out the connection card right in the top right corner of the screen and we'll connect with you. If you're here in the room, uh, as Deb said, you get popcorn that's been prayed over, which I think is pretty, makes it pretty special. Um, but like, it's the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon. I'm not lying. Uh, so if you're new, I'd love to meet you at the 10-minute party right in that back corner here in about 62 seconds. Uh, and so I'll meet you back there. Deb will be there as well. So um, friends, we love you. We ask your blessing and uh, God's blessing over you. And Philip, are you here? I'm praying for you, Philip. I just want you to know that. So I know you're in the back. You can hear me. So this is Philip's last Sunday for a couple months, and we just want him to know we love him, and we're praying for him. Um, so friends, may you have a blessed week ahead. We'll see you back next week. We'll wrap up our series uh, together, looking at kind of this mission that we're all on and that we get to be a part of. And so go in God's peace, and may you experience his goodness more this week, we pray. Amen.